This morning we're going to be uh, looking into the book of Revelation, and we're not going to look at all of it. And I know when some of you hear Revelation, it piques your interest, and when others of you hear Revelation, you go, isn't that weird book? Isn't that the weird book that's tucked there kind of at the end of the Bible that's got dragons and all kinds of odd things in it? Well, there are some kind of mysterious and maybe even weird things that we can find tucked away in Revelation, but there's also a good bit of it that we can read that's absolutely crystal clear and that we can understand. And because I'm a simple guy, I just want to share with you some of the simple stuff that we can understand from a certain portion of this. And this actually comes, if you have a familiarity with the book of Revelation, you'll notice that the first portion of that book are letters to seven churches. Jesus speaks to seven churches. And the messages that he has are for them particular, particularly, but it, it's also for us. Because as I read these letters to the seven churches, I can step back and go, yeah, that looks a lot like the United States of America. That looks like a lot like the world we live in. And so that's where we're going to be this morning. So if you have your Bibles, we're going to look in Revelation chapter 3. We're going to look at verses 14 to 20. And I'll ask that if you'll hold your Bibles open there so you can come back. Maybe there's some things you want to highlight or note. But Revelation chapter 3, we're going to begin reading with verse 14. We're going to go through verse 20. Let's just pick up with verse 14. And to the angel of the church in Laodicea, write, The words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. To the angel of the church in Laodicea. Here we have Jesus is writing this or speaking this. It's to the, the angel of the church. Now, the angel can mean a, a, an angel, a messenger from God who is kind of the guardian of that church. It may also be a messenger within that church because the word angel literally means messenger. But the point we have here is this message comes from Jesus and he gives himself three nicknames. Now, we want to be awfully careful in nicknaming Jesus, okay? Or, or I, I feel a little uncomfortable when people talk about, you know, uh, the big guy or the man upstairs or things like that, because those are not biblical terms at all. Those are, those are uh, familial terms that we use to try to bring some, someone who is be really holy and beyond us down into a way we can grasp it. But when Jesus himself gives us his nicknames, then we can feel pretty confident using those. And these are the names that he uses for himself. First, he says the amen. Now, the term amen literally means so be it. That's what it means. So be it. When you pray and you end up in Jesus' name, so be it. And you can even use that. It's okay. In Jesus' name, so be it. What is Jesus saying about himself? Jesus is saying about himself, I'm the one who makes things happen. You're praying in my name, I'm the one who makes things happen. The next term he uses for himself is the faithful and true witness. In other words, Jesus is the one whose testimony, what he says is always true. Now, you've got some people in your life that you know you can count on them to be good to their 
word. But you know, sometimes they're mistaken. They may tell you something and be completely honest about trying to communicate with you, but they may be mistaken in what they say. Not so with Jesus. When he has something to say, you can always count on it being true. And the third nickname that he uses is the beginning of all creation. Beginning of God's creation. Okay, we look at that and we go, well, what's he saying here? Is he saying that he is a, he is a part of that creation? In other words, he, was, he, was, uh, he came into being after at some point he wasn't eternal with God. It's not what he's saying at all. The, the, the Greek term beginning is arche, and it means origin or even ruler. And so what we're here, seeing here is not that Jesus is part of creation, but that Jesus is the originator of creation. It's what we read in John chapter 1, that nothing has been created except that was what was created by Jesus. Nothing. And so Jesus is the one who makes it happen. Jesus is the one you can count on to be true. And his power is such that creation began with him. He started it, and he's Lord over it. Now, when you have someone with those kind of credentials speaking, you want to listen. Occasionally, I get a chance to speak, and, and, and they'll ask, hey, could you, you write up something, a little, little biography, something. In other words, these people don't know you, and so I want to tell them something that's going to give you credibility other than you're my friend and I've invited you to speak. And that's why, you know, we have titles, and that's why, you know, this person earned this degree, and this person wrote this book, and this person's responsible for this. It's to give them some credibility. All right, Jesus comes in, he goes, okay, let me, let, me give you my, let me give you my biographical information here. Now, based on that, you can count on what I'm about to tell you. So what does he say? Verse 15, verses 15 and 16. I know your works. For some of you, that's a scary thought, isn't it? I know what you're up to. I know what you're doing. I know your works. You are neither hot, or excuse me, you are neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. (laughs) When Jesus comes and he says, hey, I know what you've been up to, you would hope something positive would follow. Hey, I've been watching you and I'm proud of you. Here's a pat on the back. But That's not at all what he told the church in Laodicea. He says, listen, I've been watching you. I know your works. I know what you've been doing. I know your deeds. And and here's what I've observed in you. You're lukewarm. You're not hot. You're not cold. You're right in the middle. Now, the people in Laodicea would have been very, very familiar with the lukewarm. One of the archaeological things that they have found about Laodicea is it had a very intricate aqueduct system that an aqueduct is basically a system of pipes and troughs that carry water from a distant location into uh, a central location. And since there wasn't enough water in the city of Laodicea for all the people to drink, it was piped in. It was brought in from other places. Very intricate system that they had. Uh, Listen, our current system 
of, uh, of our waterworks and the plumbing. All, all that stuff is, is really based on exactly what they were doing then. Now, it would all come to a central location where people could come and fetch water. It didn't come right out of a faucet, a tap in their house. But that's how the water got there. And the origin of the water for them would come from one or two places. Either it would come from the north where there were an abundance of of very famous hot springs and be piped down to them, or it would probably come from the the south, and that is where there was an abundance of fresh cold water that would be piped up to them. One way or another, when the water traveled all that distance, whether it came from a hot source or a cold source, when it got there, it was lukewarm. It was tepid. I don't know if on a hot day you've come in wanting some, something cold to drink and, and what you got wasn't exactly what you expected. It was kind of warmish water. It just didn't quite satisfy. Or maybe you picked up that cup of coffee that was piping hot or that cup of tea or cocoa or whatever it was. It was piping hot at the beginning of the day. You grabbed it in the middle of the morning and, oh, gosh, this isn't good. Jesus said, you're like that. Not, not physically. But spiritually, you're like that. You're not hot. You're not cold. You're lukewarm. You're middle of the road. And because you're like that, I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. This is not what they would have wanted to hear. This is not what we want to hear. But this is the plight of the church in America. We've become complacent and self-sufficient. We don't really have a a burning zeal for Jesus Christ. It's just kind of middle of the road. Our lives don't bring refreshment and encouragement to people because of who we are in Christ. We're just kind of middle of the road. Jesus said that's a dangerous place to be neither hot nor cold now he wasn't saying that hot was good and cold was bad or cold was good and hot was bad the point is they were lukewarm and that simply was not accessible i wish he said you were either one or the other but you're not then he goes on and and explains their plight and this is what he says let's pick up in verse 17 For you say, I am rich. I have prospered. I need nothing. Let's stop right there. This was their self-evaluation. I don't know what line of work you're in, but but, uh, if you get evaluated at the end of the year, there's usually someone else who evaluates you, but they'll often ask, hey, evaluate yourself. And so this would have been their self-evaluation. We are rich. We've, we're, we've prospered. We've got money in the bank. We're doing okay. You don't, I don't need a thing. That was their self-assessment. That was their self-evaluation. But that was not what Jesus saw when he looked at them. This is what Jesus saw. Let's go on. Not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. Not realizing you're naked, uh, that you are uh, wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you, he says, to buy from me gold refined by fire, 
so that you may be rich, and white garments so that you may clothe yourselves and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen, and salve to anoint your eyes so that you might see. Now, I want to tell you the reason Jesus says this, this would tie in exactly with where they are. Let me give you a little background as to the city of Laodicea and why they evaluated themselves in one way and why Jesus spoke to them in the way he did. First of all, they were a very rich city. Laodicea uh, was in Asia Minor, modern-day Turkey. There was a major Roman road that ran through Laodicea, and so uh, they would have a lot of trade, a lot of commerce, a lot of banking, a lot of communication that came through Laodicea, a very prosperous city. What made them even more prosperous was that they had kind of a unique um, silky black wool that was produced there. And some, some wonderful garments came from there. Very, very fashionable. People sought after it. They made a lot of money on this black wool that was raised in that area. On top of that, they also had this miracle cure. This would have been advertised on all the cable stations, Okay. This Phrygian powder that could be placed on the eyes, and it was considered to be kind of a miracle eye ointment, a miracle eye cure. And it is into this culture, this, this, this setting that Jesus actually speaks. Because these people were well off. They were so well off, in fact, that when a major earthquake hit Laodicea, they told Rome, Hey, don't worry about it. We'll rebuild ourselves. Can you imagine any city in the United States? If they have a hurricane, if they have an earthquake, if they have raging forest fires, if they have snowpocalypse, whatever it is, and that they are just hammered. Can you imagine any city in the United States turning to Washington and saying, hey, listen, don't worry about sending a dime. We got this. That's Laodicea. We have so much. We don't need you to come in and help us rebuild. We'll take care of ourselves. So they said, we're rich. Jesus said, yeah, you got a lot of money in the bank. But spiritually, you're to be pitied. Spiritually, you are wretched and racked with poverty. They said, oh, but, but look at the fine clothes we wear made of this wonderful wonderful wool that we produce. She said, you don't even see it, do you? Spiritually, you're naked. You're completely unclothed. They said, but, 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 but what about this eye salve that we make? This is, everybody wants this. People have problems with their eyes. They come from miles around in order to get this eye salve. Jesus said, you don't even see it, do you? You're selling eye salve to people who are Physically, their eyesight's impaired, but you're spiritual, you're blind. You don't see a thing. And it's into this context, Jesus says, don't be counting on these things to matter. In the end, these things are empty and meaningless, they're worthless. Instead, come to me, because I have true riches. Come to me and let me clothe you with righteousness. Come to me and let me touch your blind eyes so that you can see. Folks, when we evaluate ourselves, let's be honest. 
We can be like the church at Laodicea and say, listen, you know what? I may not be all that rich. <laughs> I may not have all that money, but you know what? I got enough. I'm doing okay. I'm paying the bills. I've got a roof on my head. I've got a vehicle to drive. I can put gas in it. I've got a job. I- I'm doing okay. I'm well fed. I've got good clothes on my back. I've got a nice coat I can pull out of the closet. I'm doing all right. I see the world. I can see things. I've got a good vision of where I am in life and where I'm going in life. But when Jesus looks, not at the outside and what everybody else sees, but when Jesus peels back the layers and looks at you on the inside, what does he see? Does he see the outward image that you're trying to portray? Or does he see what's really real? In verse 19, Jesus says this. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. So be zealous and repent. In other words, I'm not trying to be mean here, guys. I'm not trying to slam you. I'm not trying to embarrass you in front of your friends. I love you. And because I love you, I I need to discipline you. Have you ever had somebody in your life and you knew that they were headed for disaster in fifth gear? And man, they were going and they were telling you how wonderful it is. It might have been a relationship. It might have been a job. It might have been another opportunity. But they're headed, I mean, they are headed in fifth gear wide open towards what you know is going to be a disaster in their lives. And you go to them to try to help them see things a little differently. What they really are. What's their first reaction? They get mad at you, don't they? Hey, man, you're trying to burst my bubble. You're trying to steal my dream. You don't want me to be happy, do you? It's not at all why you're doing that. You you don't want them to to run headlong into that wall that's in front of them or to sink into that quicksand that's right there in front of them. You, you're looking after them. You're trying to help them. And Jesus said, you need to understand, I'm not here to try to make you feel bad about this. I'm not here just to make you feel guilty. I'm here because I love you. And because I love you, I don't want you going down this path. This leads to nothing but destruction. So I'm here out of love to warn you. And and instead of pursuing this that you think is going to make you happy, you think is going to make you content, you think is going to bring fulfillment. Instead, I want to call you to turn away from those things, to repent and to be zealous, passionate about what's really real. Now, we can get passionate about things, right? We can get passionate about the cars we drive and the TVs we buy and the homes we live in and the places we go. We can get very passionate about the clothes we buy. We can get very passionate about these things. But Jesus is saying, listen, I want you to be passionate about what really matters. To be passionate about what really matters. And so I ask you, church, Would Jesus be speaking the same thing into your life out of love? Would he be calling you to repent and to be zealous, to be passionate about what matters? And probably the most well-known verse out of this section is verse 20. 
And this is what it says. You've heard this before most likely. Behold, Jesus says, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and eat with him and he with me. Now, I want you to remember something. Jesus is writing to a church. He's writing to a church. A church is made up of believers, or at least people who have some desire to believe. He's not writing this to the general population of Laodicea. He's writing to a church. And he says this. Listen up, guys. Pay attention. That's what behold means, okay? Look. Pay attention. I'm standing at your heart's door, and I'm knocking. Now, when it says knock here, in the Greek, it means something that is ongoing, okay? It's not just, and then walk away. He is standing and persistently knocking. And he's calling. He's asking you to open the door. He's knocking and he's calling. And 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 this is what he says. And if you'll hear, which means they may not be listening. They may have the radio, the TV up too loud. They may be too engaged in their party going on or their argument or whatever it might be. If you'll hear, he says and you'll open the door, then I will come in to you. And, and it says, this is interesting, because it says that, that I'll eat with you and you with me. Now, when, I don't know how things are in your household, but m- for many people in the United States, and it was true a lot in our own home, when we ate, uh, we got our stuff out of the kitchen, and we went to the den and we sat in our favorite chair or on the sofa and the TV was on and, and we'd eat at, while we're being engaged with the TV or something like that. But that wasn't the case then and it's not the case in some of your homes. Dinner time is a time that's set aside. Yes, there's a meal. But more importantly than the meal is the time you spend together getting to know one another more, sharing your heart sharing your desires, sharing your dreams, sharing your visions, sharing comfort, whatever it is. And that's what took place. And that's what Jesus is saying here. This is so important for you to hear. He's not just saying, hey, I'm going to come in, and I picked up McDonald's on the way. And when I'm going to come in, and we're going to watch the ball game and eat cheeseburgers. No, he says, listen, if you'll hear, and you'll open the door. Christians, he's talking to Christians. If you'll hear and open the door, I will come in and we'll have real fellowship together. And you'll get to know me more. And we'll get to spend time together. And there'll be communication. I don't think that the church in Laodicea got together one Sunday afternoon and took a vote. How many of you in favor of locking Jesus out? Okay. I don't think that's what happened. Because I've seen it happen enough in my life and the lives of others to know what happened. They became content 
right where they were. They really didn't need any more of Jesus. Or at least they didn't think they needed any more of him. They had everything they needed. And quite frankly, most of us are in that boat. We got everything we need. Why do we need more of Jesus? And what we've done is we've substituted the things that this world has to offer, the pleasures, uh, the, 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 the distractions, the, the joys, all the things that this world can offer as substitutes. We've accepted those as substitutes. When Jesus says, I just wish you could see you the way I see you. When you look in the mirror, you see someone who's arrived, or at least is on the way. You see yourself as someone who's got it made. You see yourself as someone who's self-sufficient. But when I look at you, all I see is a big puddle of need. And what you need is me. And you are sacrificing so much peace and so much hope and so much joy because you're settling for the things this world has to offer. And for the prestige of being who you are, you're settling for that. When I'm calling you to turn away from those things and to be passionate about what's truly worth being passionate about. Now I stand here not pointing a finger at you. I'm pointing a finger at me too. Because very often... I live in Laodicea. Very often, I can go through my days and not realize just how utterly dependent on God I am. Got everything I need. Why do I need more Jesus? Jesus... He's at my heart's door and he's knocking and he's calling. But you know, North Carolina's playing Louisville on TV and I've got the sound up a little bit loud. We're in the middle of this family discussion. Really can't hear what's going on out there. Sunday afternoon, Jesus, I'm taking a nap. Sorry, I didn't hear you. Behold, Jesus said, pay attention. I'm standing at your heart's door, and I'm knocking. And I'm calling. And what I want more than anything else is to come in and spend some time with you. I can promise you this, church. Revival will never happen in this church, in this town, or in your home until you get up and open the door. What's keeping you from opening the door? Jesus invites you to do that very thing today. And I invite you to as well. In a few minutes, we're going to sing a song, a final song. Okay. This song is Jesus knocking. And I know for some of you, you're, you're, you're pretty content. You're, pretty, you're, you're doing okay. 
and you think, okay, that sermon was really good for him or for her, but it really wasn't for me. I'm here to tell you that most of us live in Laodicea and that Jesus is calling you to open the door. For some of you, that may mean that you just have to come up and just flood these steps as an altar and say, Jesus, I want to do exactly what you've called. I want to repent. I want to, I want to turn away from those things that I, this world says will satisfy me. And instead, I want, I want to be zealous. I want to be passionate about you. And Jesus, I'll go ahead and admit to you, I don't know how to do that. But I want it. And I'm opening the door and I'm inviting you in. And if that's what you need this morning, then don't worry about what anybody around you might say or think or feel. You just get up and you come and you do business at the door with Jesus. Some of you may need a church home if that's the case. If God's calling you here, then we invite you to come. For some of you, the knock at Jesus' door is something you've just recently heard. And you've recognized that he's coming to you and he's calling you to faith, to belief for the first time. And you need to embrace the Son of God as your Savior. I'm here to tell you this morning, Jesus is knocking. And I'm here to encourage you to open the door.